I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week, we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together, we can prepare to live outside the walls. Oh, I am so looking forward to our show today. Uh, we're going to be talking with a friend of mine, Kat Owinski. Uh, she is an author an artist, and much more. We're going to be talking about how her Catholicism impacts her daily life, and not only her daily life, but her art. Uh, very much looking forward to that as we get further into the show. Also, uh, we're going to start off here in just a moment with prayer and with our reading from Scripture and Church History. But I'm also just in the middle of a lot of things uh, in my own life, personally, uh, I am, uh, after four years of being in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I am returning to the land of my, uh, my raising and my upbringing. I'm moving back to Texas uh, just at the end of this month. So uh, things are going to be exciting, uh, and it's going to be a, a shift in focus. Here in Tulsa, I've been doing mainly marriage preparation and respect life issues for my, for my day job, because, you know, you, you have the side thing. I've got this radio show, which I love. But I also have a day job, which generally has been working with uh, engaged couples, married couples, and dealing with uh, those issues of life. Well, now I am moving down to Texas, and I'm going to be working probably more in keeping with what we're doing here on this show, uh, dealing with the, the formation of children, youth, and adults in the faith. I'm uh, very much looking forward to that, and so expect to hear a little bit more about that as the weeks move on. But now, let's get right into the meat of things. Let's start off in prayer. Everyone who waits for the Lord finds joy. Now we pray to him, look on us with favor, Lord, and hear us. Faithful witness, firstborn of the dead, you washed away our sins in your blood. Make us always remember your wonderful works. You called men to be heralds of your good news. Make them strong and faithful messengers of your kingdom. King of peace, send your spirit to the leaders of the world. Turn their eyes toward the poor and suffering. Protect and defend those who are discriminated against because of race, color, class, language, or religion that they may be accorded the rights and dignity which are theirs. May all who died in your love share in your happiness with Mary, our mother, and all your holy ones. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, our help and guide, make your love the foundation of our lives. May our love for you express itself in our eagerness to do good for others. Grant this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Our first reading today comes from the book of Joel. Chapter 4. Thus says the Lord, Let the nations bestir themselves and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there will I sit in judgment upon all the neighboring nations. Apply the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come and tread, for the winepress is full. 
The vats overflow, for great is their malice, crowd upon crowd in the valley of decision. For near is the day of the Lord in the valley of decision. Sun and moon are darkened, and the stars withhold their brightness. The Lord roars from Zion, and from Jerusalem raises his voice. The heavens and the earth quake, but the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the children of Israel. Then shall you know that I, the Lord, am your God, dwelling on Zion, my holy mountain. Jerusalem shall be holy, and strangers shall pass through her no more. And then, on that day, the mountains shall drip new wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and the channels of Judah shall flow with water. A fountain shall issue from the house of the Lord to water the valley of Shittim. Egypt shall be a waste, and Edom a desert waste, because of violence done to the people of Judah, because they shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall abide forever, and Jerusalem for all generations. I will avenge their blood and not leave it unpunished. The Lord dwells in Zion. That reading comes from the prophet Joel, chapter 4. Today's responsorial psalm comes from Psalm 97. Rejoice in the Lord, you just. The Lord is king. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many isles be glad. Clouds and darkness are round about him. Justice and judgment are the foundation of his throne. Rejoice in the Lord, you just. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his justice, and all people see his glory. Rejoice in the Lord, you just. Light dawns for the just, and gladness for the upright of heart. Be glad in the Lord, you just, and give thanks to his holy name. Rejoice in the Lord, you just. Today's gospel, it's a short one, it comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. While Jesus was speaking, a woman from the crowd called out and said to him, Blessed is the womb that carried you and the breasts at which you nursed. He replied, Rather, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. That gospel comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. And I confess, uh, hearing that gospel over the years, specifically growing up in the Protestant church, I always heard it as, uh, no, you're wrong, not the person, the person who you say is blessed isn't blessed, rather everyone who hears the word of God is blessed. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, in fact, we've got it in the archives, we had Tim Staples on the show, and he put this in a very different light than I've ever heard it. And so I want to repeat it in case you missed that show. Of course, if you did miss that show, you can get it on the archives over at OutsideTheWalls.com. But he said this, uh, the woman said, blessed is the womb that carried you. And he says, oh, no, you've got it all wrong. It's not the womb that's blessed. It's not for any familial relationship. It's not for any relationship of service, the breast at which you nursed. It's nothing to do with our relationship, our kinship. Rather, it has to do with the one who hears and obeys. Now, who's the primary person that heard and obeyed? Mary said when the angel came to her and said, you'll bear a son, she says, let it be done to me according to your word. And so here we have Mary 
who is giving birth to Christ, who has a special place, not because of the, the genetics, not because of the biology, but because she heard and obeyed. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. So she still stands as our, as our pattern, as our preeminent uh, example of the one who hears the word of God and obeys it. And so he's correcting not so much that they've got the wrong person to bless, but rather you're emulating the wrong thing about her. It's not because of any biology. It's because of obedience. And so we look to Mary as an example of that obedience. Now, moving on, today our reading from church history uh, is going to come from the breviary, and we're actually going to read something from a little bit further in the week uh, from the City of God, from St. Augustine. Every work that affects our union with God in a holy fellowship is a true sacrifice. Every work, that is, which is referred to that final end, that ultimate good, by which we are able to be, in a true sense, happy. As a consequence, even that mercy by which aid is given to man is not a sacrifice unless it's done for the sake of God. Sacrifice, though performed or offered by man, is something divine. That is why the ancient Latins gave it this name of sacrifice, of something sacred. Man himself, consecrated in the name of God and vowed to God, is therefore a sacrifice insofar as he dies to the world in order to live for God. This, too, is part of mercy, the mercy that each one has for himself. Scripture tells us, have mercy on your soul by pleasing God. Works of mercy, then, done either to ourselves or to our neighbor and referred to God are true sacrifices. Works of mercy, however, are performed for no other reason than to free us from wretchedness and by this means to make us happy. And we cannot be happy except through the good of which Scripture speaks. It is good for me to cling to God. It clearly follows that the whole redeemed city, that is, the assembly and fellowship of the saints, is offered to God as a universal sacrifice through the great high priest, who in the nature of a slave offered even himself for us in his passion, in order that we might be the body of so great a head. He offered this nature of a slave. He was offered in that nature, because in that nature he is the mediator. In that nature he is the high priest. In that nature he is the sacrifice. The apostle urges us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, and as our spiritual act of worship. Not to follow the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewal of our minds and hearts, so that we may discern what is the will of God, what is the good, pleasing, and perfect, the total sacrifice that is ourselves. By the grace of God that has been given me, he says, I say to all who are among you, do not think more highly of yourselves than you should, but judge yourselves with moderation according to the measure of faith that God has given to each of you. As we have in the same body many members, Yet all the members do not have the same functions. We are many, but are one body in Christ. We are each of us, members of one another, having different gifts according to the grace that has been given us. This is the sacrifice of Christians. The many who are one body in Christ. This is the sacrifice which the church celebrates in the sacrament of the altar. 
that sacrament known to the faithful. In that sacrament it is made clear to the church that in the sacrifice she offers, she herself is offered. That reading again comes from the City of God. Uh, It's a wonderful book, wonderful writing by St. Augustine. And so here we look and we see that those things that we offer, they are sacrifices insofar as they're offered to the glory of God. Uh, Tangentially related, another place we see in the scripture, it says, in whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. We're going to be talking about that later in the show as we talk with Kat Owinsky about how our faith is expressed, not necessarily overtly, not that, not that we, uh, in our art, artistic expressions, that we make it exceptionally clear that this is a Christian painting or a, a Christian book or a Christian something else, but rather that our Christianity, that our Catholicism infuses everything that we do uh, and that as we offer our talents, as we offer our skills, just in the same way as he's talking about this offering of mercy, this work of mercy, in, the, in, in so much as we offer our gifts and we do it for the glory of God, that gift itself is sanctified. So we're going to be talking about holy art in a way. We're going to be talking about how our expressions, when offered to God, become a thing of great beauty that gives life to the world. I think a lot of times we expect that we don't have the ability to make a positive change for the world because our gifts are, are they don't seem uh, holy. Our gifts don't seem all that, uh, that applicable to the church. And yet God has given us whatever gifts we have, and he is calling us to be good stewards of those gifts and to use them for his glory uh, even if they may not seem on their face to be something that we would expect as holy. Well, when we come back, we're going to be talking with a longtime friend of mine, Kat Owinsky, about a new endeavor she has, uh, a literary journal called Lit and Liturgy. Join the conversation. Pop on over to facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. Send us a tweet as you're listening to the show so we know what's on your mind. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Thanks for sticking through the break. Today, we're talking with Kat Owinski. Uh, she is an author. Uh, she is a, a philosopher of uh, of life. Uh, I think that's just kind of a thing for all authors, isn't it? I just yes, philosophers of life. She she is a, a many many faceted person, multifaceted person. She's also a friend of mine. Uh, Kat came into the Catholic Church uh, about three weeks before I did. She did it the proper way. She came in at Easter Vigil. But I was still working uh, at a Methodist church at Easter Vigil, and so I came in three weeks after Easter. So, Kat, glad to have you on the show today. I'm glad to be here. I'm having a really hard time calling you Kat because I met you when you were Cassie. Yes. Um, I got married, and Cassie Iwinski sounds like a Polish cheerleader. So, <laughs> trying to avoid that. Trying to avoid that. You, well, specifically with a, with a public, uh, public face that you have with your writing. 
Yes. So, Kat Owinski. Uh, so, now, we're going to talk later in the show about a brand new endeavor that you've got, a journal, uh, a lit, not, not a journal like Dear Diary Journal, but a literary journal uh, yes. uh, for Catholic authors. Now, specifically Catholic authors, people who are Catholic, who are authors, not necessarily people who are writing Catholic work. Absolutely. So I, I'm very interested in that because one of the things we talk about here on the show is how uh, how our faith impacts the way that we live. And you're you're doing that in a very profound way with your new journal. We'll talk about that in the next segment. But before we get there, I want to spend this time together talking first about how you came into the Catholic Church. And then once we get through that part, then we're going to talk about how we got from coming into the Catholic Church to this place where you are now having that Catholic faith express itself in a very profound way through your writing. Okay. All right. So Sounds good. let's do the real, I know that you've got such a short story that doesn't take any time to tell. Uh, so let's, <laughs> no. let's take your story in, in a, in a small five minute chunk. How did you come into okay. the Catholic faith? Um, it started whenever I was actually a student at Oral Roberts. I was in my junior year. And ORU is a Pentecostal university in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is to say it is not Catholic at all. (laughs) Um, And I was babysitting for a Catholic family. And just from getting to know the parents and the love that they're now my godparents, the love that they had for each other and the love that they had for their kids and the way that their Catholic faith permeated everything about their life from the way they treated each other to their priorities as a family. I really admired and respected that. And I was in a little bit of a crisis of faith because I was raised in the Protestant charismatic movement and I'm a pastor's daughter. Um, And being in that, we see a lot of things to be cynical about, but we also see too much to be able to say that God doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's like, where do I go from here? I know that what I've been doing isn't working, but I can't walk away from faith. Um, So I was in a really open place and was open to exploring. And I just asked my godmother if I could go to mass with her the following day. She of course said yes. And I remember calling my boyfriend at the time and saying, hey, do you want to go to mass tomorrow? And he's like, we don't have time to go to Boston. (laughs) No, no, no. Not Massachusetts. (laughs) Catholic mass. Uh, And so my exposure to Catholicism up to that point had been entirely through Jack Chick and the death cookie. Wow. So... I was just waiting the whole time to like see the babies being sacrificed at the altar and, you know, like the Marian shrine to come rolling out. And it never did. Right. It was Christ the King Sunday. So it was, you know, super Jesus-y. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, really good exposure. And then it was Advent. So it's all about like waiting for Christ. And mm-hmm. so it was a really good time to be introduced to Catholicism as a whole. And shortly after that, I had been going to mass every week, still not thinking I would ever convert, um, but just appreciating that there was something in that place that I was drawn to. And I rolled into a holy 
the hour. The parish that I attended had um, pretty frequent adoration. I don't remember if it was perpetual or not now, but I was able to go in late night after a dance rehearsal that I had just been really stressed out and the semester was starting to get to me its junior year. And I had no idea what adoration was, no idea what this weird gold statue thing on the altar was. It was the closest thing to a chick track I had seen yet. But there was something so unbelievably peaceful in that room that I was like, I have no idea what the heck this is, but apparently I have to be Catholic now. (laughs) So I started RCIA. I didn't come in that year because it was already halfway through the process and I had some things I had to work out in my own life, but um, started RCIA the next fall and came in at Easter um, 2011. Wow. So. so now here you are. You grew up in a in a Pentecostal home. You grew up in a yes. large family, right? That is true. Lots of siblings. Uh, you grew up with a, a very specific understanding of family and of roles and of structure and of who you were as as a woman. Now you become right. Catholic. And not just your faith flips. There's a whole perspective of life that changes along with you becoming Catholic. So we've got about uh, six minutes left in this segment. Talk to us about how your Catholicism just, you know, it's more than just that change of faith, how it began to impact the way you saw the whole world. You know, at first I thought that I was going to be able to become Catholic and not change. (laughs) The only thing that would change is that I was going to mass on Sunday instead of revival. Right. But And because my conversion wasn't as academic and theological as many of my friends' conversions, I didn't have as deep of an understanding of how Catholicism views people and how Catholicism views women specifically. Mm -hmm. But the more I started learning and digging into my faith, the more I understood that I was going to have to come to grips with some of my own biases and my own point of view that was deeply flawed. And I like to tell people that becoming Catholic made me a feminist Um, because there's no, there's no way that you can read the letters from Pope Pope John Paul II and not walk away with an understanding that God's plan for us as women and men, but specifically as I'm learning about women is radically different than the world's plan and even other sects of Christianity's plan. Right. Um, that we have a role so profound and so beautiful that I was no longer content with the status quo. I was no longer content to step back and kind of be a voice in the background um, and not take my place as a daughter of the king and as a woman who has worth and value in her own right. You know, so it was a pretty big shift. I came from, from a similar background. It was Methodist, but it had that, that kind of charismatic push to it. And there was this, this sense that, uh, the woman was maybe the more spiritual in the home, but she was that, that whole Ephesians passage of being subject made her almost a, a, a background. She was like a foundational, but a background noise. And so here right. Pope John Paul II is calling you to be uh, a, 
a prophetess and and very active in your faith, having a very active role, not just in your family, although that's still there, but really in the whole life of faith and the whole church. Absolutely. And, you know, it would be a lot easier to just step back and let my husband do everything. Mm-hmm. But um, that's not what God has called us to. And that's not what is ultimately going to help us lead each other to heaven. Um, we iron sharpens iron and we have to be able to work things out together as a team and not have one person check out and, you know, be like, whatever, you handle this. <laughs> I'm just going to sit over here and eat bonbons. Um, can we just roll a- switch? Can I can I just eat the bonbons? Can you just oh, send, them, send them to my house? <laughs> I'll, Go for it. I'll take that. <laughs> I don't really like bonbons, so he can take those. <laughs> oh, gracious. So now here you are. You're, you're coming to a new profound picture of life a whole the whole perspective is changing uh and now you are a creative person you you uh yes you're a dancer you uh uh you're an author you see the world through a very creative lens and now how is your catholicism changing the way that you express yourself uh in those mediums you know Growing up in the background that I did, we lived in a Christian subculture. We didn't listen to good music. We listened to Christian music. We didn't (laughs) read good literature. We listened to, we read Christian literature. And and good and Christian are not always mutually inclusive. Right. Um, So one of the things that Catholicism introduced me to is beauty for beauty's sake and this concept that everything good and perfect comes from God. And so if I, as a Catholic creative, am focused on creating good art and beautiful art, it's naturally going to flow out of my experience as a Catholic. Mm-hmm. I don't have to sit, put my Catholic writer glasses on and figure out how to make this more Catholic. It's my responsibility to figure out how do I best hone the gifts that God gave me. And that's by becoming the best writer I can be, not the best Catholic writer I can be. By being the best Catholic I can be and being the best writer I can be, those are going to feed into each other. You look at some of the greatest Catholic authors. You know, you've got J.R.R. Tolkien, Flannery O'Connor. These are people who, they weren't writing Catholic stories. They were writing stories about life and their Catholicism influenced it and colored it and gave us stories of redemption and stories uh, that challenged us, not because mm-hmm. they were overtly Catholic, but, but because they were overtly good. Right. Well, it's just about time to go to break. But when we come back, we're going to be talking about Kat's brand new endeavor, a journal, a literary journal called Lit and Liturgy, all about the interplay between our faith and the artistic expressions that come just as a part of our lives. Join this conversation over on Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle is at Outside the Walls. And of course, you can always find blogs, archives, and more at OutsideTheWalls.com. Don't go anywhere because we have a lot more to talk about with Katowinski right here on Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Today we're talking with Kat Owinski about her conversion, about the profound shift in her perspective after becoming Catholic, and now about a brand new endeavor she's undertaking, a journal, a literary journal called Lit and Liturgy. We're going to talk with her about how the faith impacts the arts. Kat, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. Okay, so here you are. You are uh, newlywed. Uh, yes. You are a jet setter, quite literally, uh, yes. all over the world. You're an author. Uh, and now, because you don't have enough to do, you, you think, hey, I've got an idea. Let's start a liter- literary journal. Uh, Absolutely. Because why not, right? <laughs> There's, you know, never enough to do. Never enough to do. Uh, you 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 went away from Facebook around July. I didn't see you. You disappeared. And I'm thinking, oh, she's married. It, it, it makes sense. <laughs> and then you come back today and you're like, hey, I've got an idea. Let's start a literary journal. So talk to us a little bit about Lit and Liturgy. What, what drove you to decide to do this specific project of all the things that are out there? One of the things that's popular in the writer world at large right now, not specifically the Catholic world, is this idea of creating your artistic process and it's a lot of touchy-feely woo-woo stuff (laughs) but a lot of it has a lot of value um and if you think about it even the way that we live out our faith we know that our liturgy has a specific order or should have a specific order right Uh, we know that this is going to happen at this time and having that structure helps us experience our faith every sunday and whenever we attend daily mass in a way that whenever it's just one person standing behind a microphone waiting for the spirit to fall, it doesn't have the same impact. Mm -hmm. So I I don't buy completely into the idea of everybody having a step-by-step artistic process, but there is value to rhythm and there is value to routine. Um, And I see that even in a lot of writers are drawn to the concept of rules of life and monastic life, even writers who are not remotely Catholic or even Christian, mm-hmm. um, because there is beauty in that. And earlier you mentioned J.R.R. Tolkien and Flannery O'Connor. And I think it's telling that whenever we try to think of great writers who are also Catholic, we think of those two people and then it's kind of crickets after that. Um, I've got a few others. No, it's like there hasn't been this great, in the middle of the last century, there was this big chunk of Catholic writers who were active in their faith and also creating amazing works. But that kind of died away. And people much more intelligent and philosophical than I am have opinions on why that happened. But regardless of how we got here, Now we're here, and there is a world of writers who create Catholic literature, which is good and necessary, and there are Catholics who are living their lives in the entertainment industry, but not necessarily being the best examples of their faith. Right. Um, So I want this journal to be a way for those of us who are Catholic, but are also interested in creating the best art that we can create, can live our lives in a way that is closer aligned with the liturgical calendar that whenever it's advent it's really hard for me 
to write joyous, happy Christmas pieces just because I'm living my faith out and where I'm at spiritually in that place is different than where I'm at in the middle of Easter. Mm-hmm. So to have a way that we can bring our content together and say, you know what, we are dedicated to being the best writers we can be and to helping each other live out our Catholic faith and live our life closer aligned with the church calendar. Um, I think it's something that is necessary if we want to create the next generation of voices of writers who are Catholic and are also amazing writers. So who are the, right now, who are the, the people that you're in relationship with, the, the, the other Catholic authors who are just writing the best art that they can that, that really inspire you to do this and to, to continue this conversation? A lot of them are women that are writing online. Um, people joke about the Catholic mommy blogosphere a lot. <laughs> it gets a bad rap. But so many of those women have this burning desire to create art in the midst of the messy everyday life of raising kids and raising young Catholics. And they, the the things that they create make me cry sometimes. I'm like, this is so beautiful. And I wanted to create a platform that they are able to share that even though they don't have a following and they don't, you know, the, I could go on about the publishing industry for way too long. They don't have enough of a platform, enough of a social media following, whatever. Their voice isn't deemed good enough to be heard. Right. Um, but it is. It's just not what people are expecting to hear. What's the consumerist so, world that we live in that says you can? You, we need to make things for mass production and mass consumption and not necessarily uh, make things for beauty's sake? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So are you beginning this endeavor? Who do you have that's participating with you to, to create these first couple of articles that are going to be online? But then as it goes along, you're looking to move to a print, uh, print medium as well. Yes. The first two issues will be online just as we're getting some of the kinks worked out. Um, I will be submitting some contents. Um, there are a couple of other writers that I've tapped. I don't know if they are going to be publishing under their actual name or if they're going to choose a pseudonym. So okay. I won't call them out um, okay. just because they have some secular projects as well. And, right. you know, it's a crazy but a necessary world. Um, so that'll be the first couple of lineup. But we are also open for submissions. Okay. And I specifically want to hear from people who feel like they aren't being heard in the traditional venues, either because their work isn't Catholic enough, so the Catholic blog world doesn't want to hear it, mm-hmm. or because they can't just up and move to New York City or other publishing meccas and pound the pavement right. there. So talk to me a little bit about what this journal is going to look like. When I open it up, is it going to be talking about uh, life and writing, or is it going to be actual submissions of writing and, and giving us examples of how that writing connects with liturgy? So each issue is going to be centered around whatever liturgical season we're in. Mm-hmm. Um, there'll be four a year and they'll be modeled after each book in the liturgy of the hours. Okay. So you'll see a collection and I will, or it'll be organized similar to the way, uh, 
um, that the liturgy of the hours actually are. It will mostly be fiction and poetry. Um, I would also love to hear from some of the really great creative nonfiction writers about essays on living life as a Catholic writer or a writer of faith. But I mostly want to showcase the arts Mm -hmm. and not so much essays about art because I feel that there's a lot of philosophizing about why Catholic art is in the state that it is, but not a lot of doing our part to make it better. Yeah. Well, excellent. So poetry, you can get, if you know, if you've got people who maybe fancy themselves as songwriters, that maybe that you're not going to have the, the audio part of that, but perhaps that, that quality of, of lyric would be able to, be part of that journal as well. Oh, absolutely. Well, you can find out more information about this journal, Lit and Liturgy, uh, at the website Lit and Liturgy, L I T A N D L I T U R G Y dot WordPress dot com. Well, we've got just a little bit of time left here in this segment, Kat. Talk to us about the journal and how someone can get involved. Okay. I would love to hear from you. I love reading new works from new writers. I love reading new works from established writers. Um, currently, we're accepting submissions for the Advent and Christmas issues. Um, submissions close on November 5th. I'm looking for short stories, poetry. If your intuition is tingling and you think that what you have would be a great fit, go ahead and send it. Um, nothing is too out there. Nothing is too small. I want you to submit your best work and let's see what we can do with this. Right. You know, you, you look at the great works of the Middle Ages and the church was who was pro, uh, really producing and supporting the arts of that time. Uh, and slowly we've allowed ourselves to segregate our faith away from the way we express ourselves in daily life. And you, you, you go into, uh, into a Barnes and Noble today, you go into, uh, you know, amazon.com and you're not finding, uh, the beautiful art. The good, the beautiful, and the true has largely been removed from our media, not only from, uh, not only are the Christian authors not venturing into the secular world, but the secular art uh, really is not good or beautiful or true. Right. Uh, And so the secular world very much needs faithful Catholics, people who love Jesus, uh, to get out there and express faith, not as a subculture, but as part of life, part of living, something essential to the nature of the world. I look forward to how this journal is going to be helping with that, Lit and Liturgy. Be watching out for it. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk just a little bit more with Katowinski about what she thinks we need to do most of all uh, in the world. Look forward to it. Join the conversation over on Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. You can find it on Twitter. The handle is at Outside the Walls. We want to hear what you have to say. Submit there on Facebook before you submit to Lit and Liturgy. Let's have a conversation. We're talking with Kat Owinsky about faith, literature, and more. We'll be right back. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. We're talking today about how faith permeates life, how our faith affects the way that 
uh, that we view life, our perspective, how it changed the perspective of our guest today, Kat Owinski, uh, and then also how that expresses itself in the way we express ourselves. Uh, Kat has a brand new journal, Lit and Liturgy. Uh, you can find it at litandliturgy.wordpress.com. And, of course, if you missed any part of this show, we've got it archived. You can get it on iTunes or you can get it over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Maybe you know someone who's ex- exceptionally artistic and you want them to hear about this journal. Send them to OutsideTheWalls.com. They can listen to the show, find out how to submit to the journal, and all will be right with the world. Well, Kat, let's talk about all being right with the world for just a bit. Why of don't we? Of course. Now, you and I have a similar soapbox. And I think part of it is this idea, the, the two ideas that compete and somehow collude with one another. The first idea is that I have to be catered to. It's this mm-hmm. consumerist culture that says, uh, even in my faith, I want things to be my way. Right. Uh, and then the, the second thing uh, is that everything has to be of a specific kind of quality that it it fits that consumer model it has to be buyable you know right. uh, if we can't sell it then then we don't need to have it and so it, it really crushes I think the um, the beauty of diversity right mm-hmm. uh, on the one hand because everything has to be homogenized and, and then on the second hand it really crushes unity as well because we all have to be beholden to our own tastes and desires so right. talk about this a little bit, how it's expressing with you. And I think that's something that's true across the board. I veer towards the more traditional forms of liturgy, um, but I married someone who was raised in the Catholic charismatic movement, and he veers towards the other spectrum of liturgy. And we, it's made it so evident, even whenever we attend mass together, that Mass is not about us. And even though intellectually we already know that, but whenever we see things that are labeled, well, this is the mass for this kind of people, and this is the mass for this kind of people, and you know, the two will never meet, that it's taking the focus off of us as a community of Catholics, and it's turning it into, oh, well, this is us as this type of Catholics, instead of just being Catholic. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is we have gone away from the beautiful and the true, even in our everyday liturgies. And it's like, well, we're going to make it this way or we're going to make it that way. And I think that particularly even us as newlyweds and, you know, we're a young family, it's made it hard to find strong communities in the places that we live because there isn't a sense of broad community. It's we're in this clique and, you know, if you do X, Y, and Z, you can join our clique, but otherwise, you know. Right. We want no part of it. Right. Well, and the idea, I mean, the whole thing of being Catholic, the whole universal faith, uh, we talked just last week about being in Philadelphia with Pope Francis. And uh, we had a mass there with uh, 46 people from around our diocese here. And then we were joined by about 100 people uh, of Hispanic uh, origin from Mm -hmm. Chicago. And they sang their hymns in, in Spanish, and we sang a couple of hymns in English, and we all together sang a hymn in, uh, in, in Latin, and we were all together. It was, it was us. It was, you know, I looked over across the way, and it's like, these are my people. Right. And, and I think 
we lose that when we're in a single, let's go from Philadelphia where we had a million people. Let's go down to a single parish level where we've got four or five masses. We all live in the same neighborhood and yet we never see one another because we're in our service. Mm -hmm. So you end up with like six different congregations in a single parish. uh, And so you've got people who, who have the gifts and talents to be able to create community, right? You in that parish, you've got people who are young families who would be uh, an excellent support for one another. You've got older Mm -hmm. parents who would gladly uh, take on the role of grandparent to all these young families, but we're so segregated that we never see them. And I think that's one of the things that was the hardest part to get used to as a convert, because as a Protestant, your church is your life. You belong to that church. That is your family. That's your home. And it, it should be that way in Catholicism. And it sadly is rare. Mm -hmm. So what's the solution? It's, it's one thing to look at the problem and see it and recognize it. But how do we, just on a small level, what are some small steps that we can take, you, I, and, and those who are listening, to, to make a difference in their own parish? I think that one of the best things we can do is get rid of the Catholic echo chambers. Um, not everybody in your life has to think the same way that you do. They don't have to agree with you. We've lost the art of civil discourse. Um, even on our Facebooks, oh, this person posted something that I radically disagree with, so I'm going to block him and not try and engage and understand where he's coming from, not in a way that waters down the truth, but just in a way that broadens our borders and so that we aren't in a little Stepford Catholic community. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, I think civil discourse has been lost, not just in the Catholic world, but in general, all across the board. Uh, Social media has become really unsocial media because we surround ourselves only with people who we agree with. So right. the, the one cha- reasons I got rid of it, <laughs> not really, and now I you're this- and now you're back. <laughs> but that's our challenge, isn't it? That's our challenge this week is uh, to be open to listening, to be open to discoursing, uh, rather than just immediately jumping to the argument. You know, Absolutely, hearing hearing not to answer, but hearing to hear. Well, we've been talking today with Kat Owinski. She is an author. She is an artist. She's also the founder of a brand new journal, Lit and Liturgy. You can find that litandliturgy.wordpress.com. We'll, of course, also link to that on our social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. And on Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. Outside the Walls is a co-production of St. Michael Radio and Breadbox Media heard around the world on terrestrial radio, live streaming and podcast. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. See you next week.